Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. is the Tom Hartman Program. <laughs> and welcome back. Tom Hartman here with you. A lot in the news. The, uh, I want to start out with the evil reason why the uh, Republican Party is going to exploit every crisis the world is facing. And many of these crises actually threaten democracies here in the United States, our democracy, and democracies around the world, particularly younger, weaker democracies. I'll get into that in detail in just a moment. Also, why is the Republican Party pretending that everything is just fine when Donald Trump is obviously guilty as hell? We'll get into that. And a crazy alert, in a few years, you'll, will you travel to the first space hotel instead of Mexico? Also, Judd Legum is gonna drop by about the six corporations that are right now funding the attack on women's reproductive rights. So there's an enormous amount of stuff to talk about. And just to start, the piece over at HartmanReport.com today, my, my daily, my, I call it daily rant, my kind of daily essay or daily op-ed, titled, The Evil Reason the GOP Will Exploit Every Crisis the World is Facing. That reason, by the way, can be summarized in one word, power. And probably a second word, the money that comes with power or that produces power. But uh, what I want to flag for you, and I think this is really important to understand, is that the war in Ukraine is producing a series of consequences that are in the process and within a few months are going to seriously be impacting the world in ways that will damage or threaten to damage democracies. This is serious as death. I mean, this is, this is really serious stuff. Americans, you know, somehow, you know, we've, we're, we're like, oh, yeah, look at that. Putin's retreating or, you know, whatever. I mean, you know, we, we, oh, it's going to a stalemate. This is not, this is not the beginning of, of the end of this. I mean, it's this, well, here's the, the three things that the Republican Party has already essentially declared in the United States that they fully intend to exploit and that you're going to see so-called conservative political parties, neo-fascist political parties in countries from, from you know, obviously Hungary and Poland, they're already there, to, uh, you know, France and Germany. You're going to see this right across Europe and, and around the world, too, by the way. 
But I think the, the most immediate impact is going to be on Europe and then secondarily on the United States this fall that could destabilize democracies. And these three things are, number one, refugee crises. Number two, shortages and spikes in both the cost of food and fuel. In other words, inflation and shortages. And number three, a worldwide recession, which will come out of number two. So let's look at these one at a time here. The, the refugee crisis. Step in the Wayback Machine with me, back to 2016. Donald Trump was running for president, and the main talking point that the Republicans were pushing at that time, keep in mind Trump had kicked off his, camp, his candidacy a year earlier in 2015 by saying that you know, Mexican rapists and murderers were coming to the United States. So the main Republican talking point was that Obama have left the southern border wide open and anybody who wanted could come into America. And of course that became a self-fulfilling prophecy. They were pounding on this on Fox News and on social media. The Russian trolls were amplifying it and doubling and tripling down on it. And guess what? American news doesn't just stay in America. It started popping up in Guatemala and Honduras and Nicaragua and El Salvador and, and southern Mexico and people were going, oh, look at this, an American United States senator just said that the southern border is open. A news, the largest cable news network in America just said that, that the southern border is open. Gee, maybe we should get in a car and head to the southern border of the United States. Look at this, everybody's saying it. Not realizing that the Republican Party and Fox News were lying through their friggin' teeth. And what was the result of those people believing that? They showed up, you know, they, they started caravans for the, for the southern border. And what was the consequence of the caravans to the southern border? Donald Trump became president and the Republicans could, took control of the House and Senate in the 2016 elections. That was their main issue. Obama couldn't handle it, you know, quack, quack, quack. So, understanding the impact that immigration can have on an election. Keep in mind, the thing that, that uh, took Viktor Orban into power in Hungary was claiming that he was going to build a wall on the southern border of Hungary to keep out Syrian refugees from the last time Vladimir Putin bombed a city into dust, Aleppo. So refugees coming into a country can flip the politics of that country. We saw that here in 2016. And that was with a few thousand Central Americans coming to the United States, a nation of 340 million people. But consider what's going on down, you know, in, the, in Eastern Europe right now. Moldova, for example, it's a country that has 4 million people. They are on, on the Ukrainian border. They, they now are housing 360,000 refugees. 360,000 refugees in a country of 4 million people is the equivalent of 30 million, to use Trump's phrase, Mexicans invading America and actually getting here and setting up residence. 30 million. Can you imagine what American politics would look like if the uh, caravans that came to the, to the southern border in 2016 weren't just a few thousand people, but were 30 million people? That's what Moldova is dealing with right now proportionally. Poland has 2.2 million Ukrainian refugees. They've got a population of 37 million. That's the equivalent of 21 million Mexicans or Central Americans making their way into the United States. 
And, you know, no matter how model these folks may be, no matter how well behaved these refugees may be, some of, you know, most of them don't speak the language of the country that they're in now. They don't speak Polish, for example. Some are going to be criminals, even if their crimes are petty crimes like, you know, theft or prostitution to try to, you know, just get food and things, survival. Some will take jobs from good, you, you know, good Poles or good Moldovans. Others will burden the social welfare system. They all need to eat and find housing, which is going to cause food shortages and raise housing prices. And guess what? It's already hitting. The head of the Law and Justice Party, this right-wing party in Poland, Jaroslaw Kaczynski, said, quote, refugees will not abide by Polish law. The former interior minister, Joachim Brzezinski, said they are young, horny bulls that are just called refugees. And the president of Poland, who is kind of a Donald Trump character himself, uh, Andrzej, uh, Andrzej Duda, says they carry the risk of possible epidemics. Hello, Donald Trump. So number one, refugees. Number two, worldwide shortages and spikes in the cost of both food and fuel. Oil prices are rising. Now, we're still in this 15% production cut that Trump negotiated in 2020 with Saudi Arabia and Russia, which jacked up the price of oil. It's still there. But on top of that, you've got the, you know, the hit from the war. And the Republicans are already on, on this. I got an email yesterday afternoon from American, uh, America First Policy Institute from Rick Perry, the former U.S. Energy Secretary. He says, if you've no doubt noticed, gas prices are way up. President Biden is trying to use Russia's actions in Ukraine as an excuse for an increase in costs. The truth is that these prices were inevitable because of the actions President Biden has taken since his first day in office. Under President Trump, we invested in American energy, which boosted our economy and let Americans pay as little as $2 a gallon for gas. Apparently, he forgot we had a pandemic and demand collapsed. The Biden administration reversed the policies that gave us energy independence, embraced the radical Green New Deal, and forced us to again rely on foreign oil. So here you got Rick Perry completely forgetting about the the pandemic and lying through his teeth in large part. But again, using this spike in oil prices, which is the result of Russia's war against Ukraine, as a political weapon here in the United States. It's It's gonna happen all over the world. Gideon Rackman in the Financial Times yesterday, he said in the UK, households could see a 50% increase in energy bills by next month in April, followed by another 50% rise in October. You think that's not going to turn into politics? And if, and if Germany actually succeeds in cutting off you know, Russian oil, you're going to see price spikes that will probably go well above 150%. And you're going to see shortages of gasoline, diesel, home heating, gas, you're going to see serious shortages in Europe. Again, if you think that's not going to turn into something political, I have a bridge to sell you in Brooklyn. We saw this before. We saw this when, when uh, when climate change caused the deserts in northern Africa to move south about 100 miles back, uh, back in 2010. Actually, the price, you know, the, the, it hit a peak in 2010. And Wheat production collapsed in North Africa. That sent farmers into Damascus where they were protesting and demanding, you know, basically welfare. And Assad, you know, shot them 
which produced the civil war in Syria that, that led to the Russian bombing of Aleppo. And it also is why that street vendor in Tunisia set himself on fire because of the increase in the price of wheat. He couldn't afford food. And that triggered the Arab Spring, which flipped Egypt from a democracy into a military, military dictatorship. And that was just a small increase in the price of wheat in one region. This is going to be worldwide. Russia and Ukraine account for one quarter of the world's wheat exports. This is going to get bad. Stay with me. And by the way, let me just add to this. If you want proof that this is already baked into the Republicans' electoral plans, just check out the headlines right now. This, this over at the New York Post, the headline, Biden's inflation will doom Democrats in November. It's by Rich Lowry, who's a you know, well-known conservative columnist. He says, uh, elevated inflation represents a trifecta of doom for incumbent presidents. And by the way, he's right. It was inflation that took down Jerry Ford with his WIN program, Whip Inflation Now. If you're old enough, you remember those buttons that the Ford administration was passing out? And then Jimmy Carter came into office and he still had high inflation. And that, that was one of the factors along with, you know, uh, Reagan, uh, Bill Casey, Reagan's campaign manager, conspiring with the Iranians to hold the hostages until after the election in Iran, the, the, the so-called Iranian students holding American hostages at the U.S. Embassy. But Carter had that inflation, too. You know, it typically takes, when you have a spike in inflation, we saw this after World War II, we saw this after the Civil War, we're seeing it right now. Well, and, and we saw it, you know, after the Arab oil boycott of 1970, what, 73, I think? And then, and then with the fall of the Shah in, in Iran in 1979 or 1980, we saw this every single time we've seen the spike in inflation, and it takes about a decade to just kind of flush itself out of the economy. And typically, the Fed runs in and says, oh, yeah, we'll solve this problem by raising interest rates. And nine out of 10 times, they just produce a recession. But inflation continues because it takes a decade to flush inflation out of an economy. So anyhow, Rich Lowry is right about that. And he says, it, uh, he said, and he says, you know, it's coming. It's here. And he's talking about the 2020 election and how Republicans are going to use this. 2020 or 2022, excuse me, this year's fall election, the elections this fall, and 2024, the presidential elections. He said, does it affect the lives of people in a discernible way that they will notice no matter what the president says? <coughs> yeah. Does it uh, cut the pay of workers? Yes. Does it make the president seem powerless to control events? Again, Rich Lowry is absolutely right. And the Republicans are going to beat Democrats over the head with this. This is going to be their big thing. They're going to go at it. They're already doing it. They're literally already doing it. American Greatness uh, website. The headline, Biden is unfit to lead in this perilous moment. The blue state conservative. The Biden crime family has been exposed. The black hole of depravity known as Hunter Biden's laptop. Oh, geez. And then, and then the, uh, America Out Loud, another, another one of the right-wing websites, Chile's economic destruction is a preview of what's in store for Biden's America. And they point out that America should cancel all payments to the UN for climate change programs, eliminate all climate regulations, and abolish all green taxes that are ruining our country. Right. 
So the Republicans are already all over this. They're already taking, you know, the little inflation that we've got and trying to turn it into, oh, my God, one huge big deal. I'll finish the rant on the other side of this break. Stick around. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef to you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity and what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman with two N's or enter the code Hartman with two N's before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And welcome back. So just to, to finish here, number one, we're looking at three levels of crisis that are coming as a result of the war on Ukraine that Republicans are already starting to use against Democrats, and they're going to go into hyperdrive soon. The first is immigration. Now, we're not seeing so much of that here in the United States. Uh, President Biden just said he'd bring in 100,000 refugees from Ukraine. That's probably not going to create a crisis particularly since they're white people. And, you know, typically the, the whole immigrant crisis thing is about white racist Americans complaining about brown skinned people. But it is going to create a crisis in Eastern Europe and all across Europe, actually. The second is this food, fuel and the Fed conspiring to crash the market. The Fed has raised interest rates nine times in the last 75 years to try to control inflation. Eight out of those nine times produced a recession and basically didn't control inflation. It takes about a decade to flush inflation out of an economy. It's just that simple. You know, we saw this after World War II. We saw this after, after the uh, Arab oil embargo of 73. We saw it after the, after the Iranian revolution of 19, uh, 1979, 1980. And we're seeing it now, you know, post-COVID. As Paul Krugman said, you know, in his op-ed yesterday in the Washington Post, wrong diagnosis, wrong prescription. But the Fed is going to produce a recession. 
excuse me, that was Robert Reich who said that. Uh, Paul Krugman said, quote, policy and events are seriously putting the brakes on the rapid expansion of the U.S. economy's experience since the pandemic recession. Same thing. So we're going to see food shortages, as I mentioned before the break, Russia and Ukraine, between the two of them, produce one quarter of the world's food exports. We're going to see fuel shortages, particularly in Europe, as they cut off Russian fuel. And you're going to see soaring inflation. And that's going to be used to take down democracies. It is this coming crisis of war, refugees, food, fuel, a dysfunctional Fed, and a worldwide pandemic. By the way, China just shut down Shanghai. We're going to see more supply chain issues. Remember that from November of last year? Indeed. You're, you know, we're going to start seeing shortages in our stores, too, in all probability, if they continue doing this. Now, I don't have any easy answers for this, but I do think that forewarned is forearmed. We have to know that this is coming, and, and, and particularly at the political level, Democrats need to be planning for this. Republicans already are. They're all over this right now. Up next, that seven-and-a-half-hour gap. And a crazy alert and your calls. Stick around. Welcome back. I'll pick up your calls in just a second. But just a, a, a couple of other questions here and stories for you. We have this seven and a half hour gap. Rosemary Woods and Richard Nixon, that was 18 minutes, wasn't it, as I recall? This is seven and a half hours. And we know that Trump was making phone calls during that time because we have the testimony of people talking about it. He called Mike Pence. He called Kevin McCarthy. People were standing around Kevin McCarthy when he put Trump on speakerphone, for example. So either one of two things is happening. Either Trump had whoever keeps those logs of the White House calls, the, the, the White House call logs, either he had them and he kicked them out of the White House or had them stop recording or keeping track of what's going on or had them, you know, purge the, the, the data. So either it was an explicit cover-up. He knew he was going to go into criminal activity mode and he wanted no record of it. Either that's what happened or he was using burner phones or somebody else's phones which also would indicate that he had knowledge that he was engaging in a criminal act, trying to overthrow the United States and defraud all of us of our right to have the president that we elected. So how is it that the Republicans keep pretending that everything's just fine? Donald Trump, he's still our hero. I mean, this is nuts. Uh, Jamie Gangel reported for CNN, uh, quote, according to multiple sources formerly in the administration, the ex-president often used other people's phones or multiple phones uh, to communicate with his supporters and even family. One former staffer blamed the president's habit on an aversion to anyone listening to his calls. Right. And, and of course, you know what he could have been doing during that 18 or, or during that seven and a half hours. He could have been calling the Department of Defense and saying, hey, get in there with the National Guard and stop this thing. He wasn't. He could have been calling the Capitol Police and saying, how are you guys doing? Are you, are you, do you need some help? He didn't. He could have been calling the D.C. Police, another police agency, you know, that was right there, 
saying, I authorize you to go into the Capitol. Typically, they're not. Go, you know, stop this. Save these, you know, they're, they're trying to kill Mike Pence and Nancy Pelosi. Stop them. He didn't. He could have called on the mayor of Washington, D.C. and said, hey, you control the National Guard in D.C. Go show up and do something about, you know, this, this insurrection. He didn't. He did none of those things. Instead, what did he do? He sat in front of his TV, gleefully watching the, the, the uh, insurrection happening, watching people being killed, including, including police officers. Which raises, you know, these two questions. Number one, did he, did he know in advance that this is how it was going to play out? Was that his hope? And number two, did he participate in a, in a conspiracy to make this the way it turned out? I think, you know, it's fairly obvious that the answer to both those questions is yes. So, you know, when it came out, the, the, the seven and a half hour gap, and somebody suggested, well, maybe Trump was using burner phones. Trump came out and made a public statement. I don't even know what a burner phone is, he said. Never heard the phrase before. So John Bolton, his national security advisor, told CBS News yesterday that he heard former president use the phrase burner phones in several discussions. Right. We all know what's going on here. John Bolton and Donald Trump, and we all know what's going on. A criminal ran the United States for four years and wants to run the United States again. Any criminally inclined Republican Party is just, was just fine with it, is just fine with it, and wants to continue being just fine with it. Finally, our, uh, our crazy alert, in a few, in a few years, at very few years, it's, it's 2022 right now, they're talking about 2027, five years from now, you will be able to stay in a hotel in outer space if you're a billionaire. You know, I mean, obviously all these things. You know, the billionaires, they've got so much extra money now because taxes are so low. They're shooting themselves in outer space. Hey, why not have a destination? Why just go up and come back down? This, uh, this company, Orbital Assembly Corporation, is building a space station. They're calling it the Voyager Station. It'll have 24 modules connected by elevator shafts to a rotating wheel that spins around, producing simulated gravity along the outside, just, you know, just like in the movies. And they say, because of the weightlessness and the reduced gravity, you'll be able to jump higher, be able to lift things, and be able to run in ways that you can't on Earth. They say they eventually want to make the hotel similar to a trip to Disneyland, only just for, you know, morbidly rich people. Brilliant. Okay. Picking up your phone calls on all these things that I've laid on the table here for you. Steve in Lake Elsinore, California. Hey, Steve, thanks for listening to KPFK. What's up? Tom, I'd like to compliment you on today's rant. Uh, I'm using this word uh, as a compliment. Uh, you are Cassandra. You are predicting the future. And uh, it's so scary that everything that you've just said today is, is going to happen. And we are basically helpless to prevent it. I don't know if you've ever read Jared Diamond's book, Collapse, but I he have. basically postulates that the collapse of civilizations were caused by climate change, supply interruptions, and environmental degradation, you know, the right. overuse of the land. And, and the occasional like pandemic, yeah. Yeah, and you know what? We are very much headed that way. She had the ability to foretell the future. 
but nobody would believe her. Uh, right. God gave her this power, and then, of course, they wanted to make it a joke out of it. And yeah, that's the irony about Cassandra. People war. think when you say somebody's being a Cassandra that they're being wrong. Cassandra was always yeah. right. It's just that she was never yeah. believed. I think, you know, some people will believe me, but thank you, Steve. You know, thanks for your kind comments. And I stand behind everything I said. These, you know, these three big things that, that are coming, you know, have food and fuel shocks, the problem of refugees, a refugee crisis, and a worldwide recession that may be a depression, because they're already starting to happen. I mean, it, it doesn't very take, much, very it much. doesn't take a... a uh, one more know. thing I'd like to add, uh, Tom, yeah. as you may know, World War II, one of the main leading factors uh, going to it was the uh, migration of uh, Jews from Russia and Eastern Europe into Western Europe, and then, of course, that led to the anti Right, back around the world. 1917, right around the yeah. revolution, yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Very, very scary than you're right. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Very good point, Steve. Thank you very much for the call. Jamie in Chicago. Hey, Jamie, what's up? Love listening to your show. Thank Uh, you. I think you have a very important duty that you do for everybody. Thank you. I wanted to add or reiterate what you're saying about the food and energy shortages. You know, this is sort of a a problem that has been exacerbated over the years. You also always mentioned Jimmy Carter wanting to switch to solar. Mm Mm-hmm. And just like any investor, you know, you diversify your portfolio if not to take risks. Unregulated capitalism propagates greed. And what we've done is created policy to subsidize just a few industries, oil, corn, and soy. We used to be sort of a a cornucopia of of, uh, a food source in this country. And now we grow two products because it's it's a staple that we can sell around the world. Right. We eat too much meat. We got to feed, you know, cattle corn, pigs corn. And right. so we don't grow anything else. And now we're at a drastic point, but we have to go solar to save the environment. You know, we have to do other things for the environment, uh, grow different things uh, to save the environment. But there's still time to sort of have a diversified portfolio. We can still use oil at a certain, you know, uh, moderate use. Let's start moving to alternative sources of energy, and we have to do it. Yeah. No, I, I, not I, I completely that. agree. Yeah, and I think we, we also have to reinvent our agriculture as well, and I'm with you. I mean, the mind-boggling amount of water and fossil fuel that goes into producing, for example, meat, meat and dairy and eggs and chickens and stuff is mind-boggling. I mean, it's an order of magnitude greater than producing vegetables. And worldwide adoption of something close to vegetarianism would be a really healthy thing. I mean, literally healthy, but also for the planet as well. So, you know, fixing our agriculture, fixing our energy usage, shifting to solar, electrifying our transportation systems. All these things are possible, Jamie. You're absolutely right. We just have to have the, the will and the enthusiasm. We need to start stop subsidizing the opposite of these You're things. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archive. We subsidize the fossil fuel industry to the tune of $600 billion a decade, and we're subsidizing the growth of these feedstocks for animals like soybeans. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I had a couple points. Uh, I, I kind of wanted to inject a thought on the Ukrainian refugees, and then I had a question for you. Basically, if you look at it, this is what I posted on my Facebook page here a couple of days ago, is what Putin is doing, economic sanctions against him aside, is this a corporate move? In other words, he goes in there to try to grab land and the ag base and the energy base of Ukraine, in other words, the five atomic 
nuclear reactors. Fifteen. Power plants. Yeah. Yeah. And he goes in there and grabs this land, and then all the people, the refugees, end up in Europe, or mo- the majority of them in Europe, like Moldova, that point there that you made, the, the ratio. Um, and it, he's intern- he had an idea of internalizing all these assets and profits to himself and externalizing all the liabilities on the free countries. You're absolutely right. And he's doing the same so, thing that, that giant American corporations do. It, yeah. So the point is that, that with these sanctions, we have to defeat him, either by regime change uh, or, or sensibility. Don't call it regime change. They need a sensible policy that, to get along with the world. You know, if they want to be part of the market, then they have to act like it. And uh, and Putin's got to go. You know, we cannot tolerate. So no matter what, no matter what, and that's a scary uh, synopsis that you gave uh, earlier. Hopefully, the strength is in this country to withstand it and to think our way through it. Yeah. The problem is that the best way to deal with Putin is for his own countrymen and women to deal with him, for his own people to take him down. Correct. But the problem is Correct. he's got like 70 or 80 percent popularity in Russia. And people are, it, what, what just boggles my mind, Randy, is I, I turn on the TV and I see these, these pundits going, how can Russians not realize what a terrible war Putin is doing? And I'm yelling back at them, how did Americans not realize what George W. Bush was doing in Iraq in 2003? I mean, it took five years before Americans turned against the war in Iraq, before they figured it out. You expect the Russians to figure out that they've been lied to in a week? It didn't take me that long. No, it didn't take me either. I mean, we were all opposed to it right from the get-go. But I'm talking about majority public opinion, uh, you know, large enough majority public opinion to actually change the outcome of a government. You are right. And... uh uh, the, the other question was, who's who's the billionaire money behind the America's First uh, lobby group? I don't know. You don't know? I don't. Okay. Um, that was it. Hey, have a great show, and thank you. I, I you wised me up way before the rest of them on Bush. I was I was against him. From, uh, well. Well, that's why I started this show. Tax cuts. That's why I started this show in 2003 was because of the war, you know, the war in Iraq. It was like, okay, we've had enough. This guy, this guy is using 9-11 to pass dictator style laws like the Patriot Act. And now he's doing all the uh, that's the first thing that Hitler did. Now he's doing the second thing Hitler did, which is, you know, invading a a non-combatant country. You know, and Hitler, there was a series of... Go ahead. I think it was 2003 when I subscribed. Um, and then when you left our America, I followed you. Yeah, so, well, thank you, Randy. I love you, Tom. Yeah, good. thank you, Randy. Love you, too. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. 
head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back. John Harmon here with you. By the way, Susan Collins just came out and said that she's going to vote for Judge Katanji uh, Brown-Jackson. And uh, this is like a good thing. <laughs> it means no matter what, well, Joe Manchin said he's going to vote for. We don't know about, about uh, what's her name from Arizona. But it, regardless, it doesn't matter because now we've got at least one Republican on board. And I'm guessing there'll be a couple more. I'm, I, you know, I'd be surprised if Mitt Romney didn't vote for it. But we'll see. I mean, they, they've done such a, a, an amazing job of smearing her. Um, we'll see where it goes. Bill in Clifton, New Jersey. Hey, Bill, what's on your mind today? Hey, it's always funny when they find one Republican, they call it bipartisan. Yeah. But, uh, and the other thing is, you know, I'd rather be uh, floating in the Caribbean than uh, to be in a hamster tube in space. Yeah. You know, it's a much better way. Well, I think it would be fascinating, but I'm not, you know, I can't afford it. So it's not <laughs> it's not something I'm going to dream about. Disney has better rides than that. Yeah. Safer. What anyway. I'm calling about. Oh, yeah. I don't understand why there's not, maybe there is some international refugee insurance program that everybody pays into that can help out the host countries who are taking in these people so that they're compensated. And you can either pay into it or take refugees. I don't want to sound like I'm commoditizing. Well, there uh, is a, a, a UN refugee agency. I believe it's UNHCR. But mm -hmm. it's not as fully formed as what you're suggesting, Bill. I think that's a brilliant suggestion. You, and mean, then the yeah. dues, by the way, that the U.N. could charge every member nation every year would go up or down. Mm -hmm. The insurance costs would go up or down based on the probability of war producing refugees or climate change producing refugees. Right. I mean, it, yeah, I mean, it could be done social security model or something. Right. But, that's a really uh, great I'm idea, Bill. These countries should be made whole for we're doing God's work, I think. Yeah, and, and, and humanity's work, frankly. I mean, you know, it's, uh, yes, yeah. this, is, this is all of us. I'm with you. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you very much, sure. Bill. Great to hear from you. David in Germantown, Tennessee. Hey, David, what's on your mind? Hey, I've been listening to you for a while, and uh, I was just surprised that the, uh, the, the space travel thing, you, you don't like it. I mean, I'm a liberal in Tennessee, and my friends and I, man, we're super excited about it. Um, I think it's kind of cool know. that it's happening. I, you know, what I think is unfortunate is that you're not going to be able to, to make use of it unless you're worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, I mean, cars were just for the rich, too, at one point, and flat screen TVs. I mean, that's, it's just a stepping stone to get us off this planet. Could be. You know, it's, it's Could really, be, David. Yeah, I mean. You might be right. Totally golden. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I am right. But, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Okay. All right. I, you know, I will, I'll back away from making fun of it. Thank you, David. Fair in Stoddard, New Hampshire. Hey, Fair, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. Well, I'm still reading your rant for the day, but I, I really agree with it. And in light of the consequences of this war dragging on, 
I think it's worth the chance to give Ukraine the planes to end this war. And we've got nukes. Russia has nukes. They should be just as afraid of us as we are of them. I agree. I've been, I've been saying those Polish planes should have gone to Ukraine you know, weeks ago when Poland first offered them. And Poland isn't the only country that has them, by the way. Romania has some. There's a couple of other countries that have them. And, and they have indicated a willingness to transfer them to Ukraine as well. And, you know, if they can end the war, it could end the crisis quickly. And Putin will lose. And, you know, we can go back. Maybe all these consequences that you're talking about won't be as bad. Well, I think all we can do now is ameliorate them slightly. I mean, we already have, what, five, roughly five million refugees have left the country. The estimate is that, you know, within the, the next few weeks, as they're now opening humanitarian corridors, there'll be 10 million out of 44 million Ukrainians, 10 million of them will be outside the country. And another 10 million, million of them will be displaced within the country. I mean, that's mind boggling. You, you can't dial back the impact of that. They should be putting those people to work, learn to learn building skills. Yeah. You know? Oh, it's going to, you know, rebuilding Ukraine is going to be. rebuild the country. Yeah, it's, it's going to require an effort that's going to make the Marshall Plan. Well, it's going to have to imitate, essentially, the Marshall Plan. You know, we, we helped. We didn't so much help. We, we funded the, the rebuilding of Germany and, yeah. and France and, and, and whatnot, you know, the rest of Europe after World War II. And, and this is going to take the same thing. Fair, thank you. Very, very well said. Chaz in Lakewood, Washington. Hey, Chaz, uh, you wanted to get back to Trump and his uh, uh, little uh, follies these, this week? Am I not allowed to give you a traditional greeting, Mr. Hartman? Buenos dias, mi amigo. <laughs> Buenos dias. He walks again by night. Hey, listen, you're absolutely right. Trump did say when he was getting elected that uh, he didn't want to allow rapists and murderers into the country, right? Yeah. But, as you pointed out a few minutes ago, he was the cause of cops of uh, police getting murdered at the Capitol. I submit to you that Trump is the rapist and murderer. Yeah, he's got 20 women, you know, charging him with sexual assault. And, and uh, you know, you've got, uh, you know, uh, what, I think they're up to like six or seven deaths now, you know, directly that are the direct consequences of what happened on, on January 6th at the Capitol. And, and God uh, knows how many lives he's destroyed for those that he said he was going to join at the Capitol and then he left them in the dust. Yeah, I'm with you. Chaz, thank you. Uh, well said. Robert in Minneapolis. Robert, you wanted to revisit the space issue. Yeah, um, I saw uh, maybe a couple months ago that the pollution that comes out of the rockets that they use uh, for this Elon Musk type of uh, operation is huge compared to the pollution that that is um, given out by the Russian uh, uh, mixture of fuel. And no one is saying anything about it. I've heard that it is equivalent one one shot from the Musk people is equivalent to 450,000 automobile exhausts in a year. Wow! Now, I'm, I I can't I can't reference that exactly, but I've I've seen numbers similar to that uh, at various places. I mean, this is this is an argument that has gone back to the 60s, frankly, to NASA. You know, we're yeah. we're, it's, we're producing massive uh, pollution. 
Um, there are one way around that is to use hydrogen. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. But, hydrogen and oxygen. Right. But a lot of them are, are not using hydrogen and oxygen. They're using solid fuel propellants or, or even some liquid fuels right. that are that are basically derived yeah, and, from hydrocarbons. And the news media seems to be doing nothing but celebrating how wonderful it is that these billionaires get to go and 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 have uh, a few minutes in space where they can feel exo- uh, you know um, uh, elated that they can float around. Yeah. Good yeah. grief. It's interesting. Okay, so we're hearing all sides of the space argument too. Fascinating, Robert. Thank you. Actually, very good points. Steve in Bellingham, Washington. Hey, Steve, what's on your mind today? Hello, Tom. Well, you guys were talking about the Space Hotel, and I thought I'd chime in on that. Okay. To me, it's kind of a, it's a mixed bag. It's not all bad, and it's not all good. Scientists have said that if, you know, in the long run, if we want the human species to survive, we need to start spreading out and colonizing other planets, because eventually we will get hit by a meteor. But, you know, that's long term. But I do think that it is a good thing that every step that we take towards getting putting our big toe into that big outer space is a good thing. You know, this just improves our technology for, you know, our rockets. We learn every time we send a rocket to space, you know. Yeah, it was certainly the case in the 60s, yeah. Yeah, and still today, you know, that stuff, I don't know, it might be private information, uh, but... It gets out, you know, but I'm also against what they're doing at the same time, just because I guess in a way it's not terribly harmful, but it's just, you know, the money could be spent on more important things here that are more urgent. And I agree with you. The main reason why it's a bad thing is because of the pollution. I thought that guy had a brilliant point about that. That's a lot of pollution. And if they want to do a hotel, then they're going to be sending people up every week, right? You know, and that's, I think that you are absolutely right. The government should require them to use hydrogen fuel. Yeah, although hydrogen fuel is not entirely clean in and of itself, because typically the easiest way that they get hydrogen fuel these days is they extract it from oil. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, they, you know, they produce it out of hydrocarbons. But, well, I didn't know that. Yeah, that, or, yeah, that or, or you have to have an electric source if you're going to do it through electrolysis. You know, you can't, there's not enough hydrogen in the atmosphere to just extract it. You've got, either, you've got to make it, basically. Either, uh-huh. either draw it out of hydrocarbons or, you know, split, it, split water and, and, and take it. But keep thinking, Steve. That's a good one. I appreciate it. CJ in uh, Madison. Hey, CJ, what's up? Thanks for taking my call, Tom. Love your show. Don't agree with you very often. Afghanistan and Ukraine proves America is not safe with a Democratic president. My recollection is that those things happened under George W. Bush. I didn't know he was a Democrat. Obama and Biden gave Ukraine blankets. President Trump gave Ukraine javelins and stingers. Yeah, after he he had to back down and he got impeached. After he got Obama outed, come on, a, CJ. Obama drew a red line in Syria and did nothing and watched Russia invade Crimea. I agree with you. This is President Biden's war. Well, He's the one that... I would not say it's President Biden's war. But Afghanistan. CJ, I agree with you that President Obama wimped out on this stuff. I'm with you. 
What are you going to do well, about so it? So did Biden. So did Biden. Well, Biden was his vice president. Wimped out I mean, on know, Afghanistan. It would have been a hell of a lot easier to get that $85 million worth of equipment out of Afghanistan if Donald Trump had not closed seven <laughs> of the eight American Air Force bases in that country months before he left office. So Biden ended the war. I don't think you're going to find a lot of people really furious about that, CJ. And if Donald Trump had not you're shut down seven November. of those eight American Air Force bases in Afghanistan just a few months you're before he left out. office, then it would have been a heck of a lot easier to get more people out and to get more equipment out. You're going to find out in November, Tom. Yeah, well, CJ, you may well be right. And we'll see. We'll see, as they say. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This just out, we were asking the question at the very beginning of the show, did, you know, with the seven and a half hour gap on the White House call log, was this because somebody in the White House was conspiring to cover up Trump's crimes on January 6th, or was it because Trump was using burner phones? In other words, was he doing it himself or did he have help, basically? And uh, Hugo Lowell in Washington, D.C., a reporter for uh, The Guardian, is uh, reporting in The Guardian that they have verified that at least one of the calls made during that seven-hour period was made from the official White House phone system. It went to Senator Mike Lee. It was when Trump thought he was calling Tommy Tuberville, one of the co-conspirators in this thing, or one of the alleged co-conspirators. And uh, it went to Mike Lee instead, and Mike Lee handed the phone to Tommy. And they've got multiple witnesses who have confirmed that, yes, the number that rang in was the official White House number, which is why Mike Lee took the call you know, et cetera, and that doesn't show up on the log. And it should automatically show up on the log. So that would suggest that what we're looking at here is a good old-fashioned Watergate-style cover-up. So, anyhow, let me share a story here with you. Legislation that would make it illegal to film police officers is closer to becoming law. This is troubling, shall we say. This is a Republican-backed measure to restrict the filming of police officers in the state of Arizona specifically. Timothy Sparling, a lawyer and legislative advocate for Arizona Attorneys for Criminal Justice, testified about this, House Bill number 2319. And it says that you may not film a, this, this is, you know, the we don't want any more George Floyd kind of stories, right? You may not film a police officer without the officer's permission. And they have to define a distance. I mean, you know, if you were a block away, could you do that? So they, the distance they defined was eight feet. But all that means is that if you're filming a police officer from 15 feet, all the officer has to do is walk within eight feet of you, and suddenly you have to have that person's permission. Sparling said, when officers have such wide discretion to determine, say, what is lawful conduct, what is unlawful conduct, on what grounds, and that it's not properly defined. It's ultimately up to whatever the officer wants it to be. The eight-foot buffer zone doesn't account for movement from the officers toward the person filming, leaving them to be found in violation. 
Uh, this is a minimum 30 days in jail. If a cop says, don't film me, you go to jail for 30 days if you film them. John Kavanaugh sponsored the bill. He was previously a cop in New York and New Jersey. This is grim stuff coming out of Arizona. I expect to see more of this. Now, the other amazing story is Madison Cawthorn. This, you can't make this stuff up. Madison Cawthorn once bragged about his Jesse Helms lunchbox. Um, I mean, this guy has been a Republican since he was a kid. He does not hang out with Democrats. And he is now saying, and he's a pathological liar. He lied about getting accepted into the United States Naval Academy. He lied about his own friend's responses to a car accident that left him paralyzed from the waist down. He's lied about training for the Paralympics. He's lied about running a racist website. You know, he's lied about a whole lot of things. But now Madison Cawthorn is coming out and trying to imply, I guess, that he's talking about Democrats. But everybody in Congress knows that Madison Cawthorn doesn't even talk to Democrats. And he says that his friends in Congress are inviting him to orgies, to sex parties. I mean, this is amazing. He says, aside from that, I mean the sexual perversion that goes on. He says, I mean, I mean it. I've been kind of a young guy in Washington where the average age is 60 or 70. And I look at all these people, a lot of them that I know, you know, I've looked up to throughout my life. I've always paid attention to. Well, that would be Republicans. And he says, then, then all of a sudden you get invited to like, well, hey, we're going to have some kind of a sexual get together. One of our homes, you should come. And I'm like, what did you ask me? And then you realize they're asking you to come to an orgy. And then he goes on to talk about you, you watch one of them doing, you know, a key bump of cocaine right in front of you. And it's like, this is wild. Was it, is he talking about Don Jr.? I mean, who's he talking about? Who's do, which Republicans are doing key bumps of cocaine and inviting people over to their houses for orgies? You know, inquiring minds want to know. Six corporations funding the attack on women's reproductive rights. Judd Legum over at popular.info has just a barn burner of a piece here with, well, I'll let him tell us who his co-authors were on this, because uh, Judd is on the line with us. Popular.info is the website. He is a journalist and founder of Popular.info. You can also follow him on Twitter at Judd Legum, J-U-D-D-L-E-G-U-M. Judd, welcome back to the program. Tell us, A, about the people who helped collaborate with you on this article. I know you're building, you know, quite a, quite a, uh, a, a news facility there at popular.info and and how this how, how these contributions tie into this Dobbs v. Jackson women's health organization case that is uh, before the court right now. Yeah, well, we're getting started uh, building a uh, organization over here. I've got two um, researchers who helped me with a lot of these pieces, Tesnum and Rebecca, and they helped me with this piece on looking at a lot of the bills uh, that are underway to restrict reproductive rights. And what's motivating a lot of this is the anticipation that probably by the end of June, you never, we don't know the exact date, but expected by the end of June, the Supreme Court will rule on Dobbs v. Jackson's Women Health uh, and likely either erode or possibly reverse uh, Roe v. Wade. Uh, and so what, what we're seeing now, you, you see this every year, but it, it's taken, it's, it's more intense, but it's also taken on a new importance because what you're seeing now is states implementing or proposing, and some of them passing, 
in Idaho, they just signed a bill into law that is cutting off access to abortion after six weeks, right. uh, which is, you know, before many women even know that they're pregnant. You have other states who are looking at 15 weeks. This is all sort of part of a game where they're trying to kind of guess where the Supreme Court. Yeah, if I could just jump in here real quick. This is this is from your newsletter today in Tennessee. State Representative Alexander has introduced a bill that would ban outright ban all abortions um, and does not allow abortions even during the first six weeks of pregnancy. No exceptions for rape, no exceptions for incest. And uh, when she was asked if family members of a rapist could sue the woman who gets the abortion. She basically said yes. In Oklahoma, lawmakers have introduced three different abortion bills. In Florida, state lawmakers have passed a bill banning abortions after 15 weeks. Uh, West Virginia and Arizona both moving legislation like that through their legislatures, uh, which brings us to the to the corporations that are that are supporting these particular legislators who are pushing these particular laws. Yeah, what we did is we went down the line. We looked at six states where these bills are really aggressive and moving either have been signed already or are you know past one house past one chamber and you know we found that there's a lot of there's a number of very prominent corporations including uh corporations that are in healthcare uh who are supporting not just people who vote for these bills but we only looked at the sponsors of these bills so we found that for for example CVS Health uh, which talks about their commitment to women's health care, et cetera, et cetera, uh, donated $27,600. We just looked through 2020, so we're really only looking at 2020 and 2021, to co-sponsors of these abortion bans uh, in five of the states that we looked at, Arizona, Tennessee, Oklahoma, Idaho, and Florida. Um, so although these bills are getting more and more extreme and although the consequences could be very tangible uh, for all the women in these states, millions of women, you still have very prominent uh, corporations who are backing the politicians who are behind these measures. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you, they, I'm, your list of companies. CVS, which is in the health space, AT&T donating uh, to uh, abortion bans or legislators who are writing abortion bans, not just voting for them, writing them in Florida, Arizona, Tennessee, Oklahoma and Idaho. Merck, I mean, you know, (laughs) which is making one of the anti-COVID drugs now. Uh, Merck donating to uh, lawmakers behind abortion bans in Florida, Tennessee and West Virginia. Comcast donating to lawmakers behind the Florida abortion ban. United Health, the health insurance giant, uh, donating to lawmakers behind the abortion bans in Idaho, Arizona, and Oklahoma. And Anheuser-Busch donating to the uh, lawmakers who passed this abortion ban in, or wrote this abortion ban in Idaho. Judd, are any of these companies responding to your outing them? Uh, No, we we haven't. We we didn't. We reached out to all the companies that you just mentioned. and none of them got got back to us. You know, I think we we find usually that's the case when they don't plan on doing anything or they don't have an explanation. You know, usually if a company is not planning on donating to these folks in the future, they'll come out and let us know. But if they don't really have anything to say, uh, they generally think it's best uh, not to respond. So that's what we got. We didn't get any any response. 
And it'll be interesting to see if this kind of posture, which is a public relations posture, can really hold. Because right now, you know, these, these bills either have just been signed or they're still in the process. Supreme Court hasn't been ruled. But, you know, it's almost April. June is, 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 a, is rapidly approaching. And people are going to wake up to the fact that it's very likely in just a couple of months it's going to be a dramatically different environment in the United States uh, with respect to reproductive rights. And whereas before you had a floor that was kind of, that was established through this constitutional right that's existed since the 1970s is going to be gone, and it's going to be a state by state continual battle to preserve these rights. Right. And in fact, here in Oregon, the uh, I, I don't know if they acted on it. I, 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 I frankly didn't. I haven't seen a, a follow up, but the legislature and the governor were talking about appropriating millions of dollars to support the infrastructure of abortion, abortion clinics here in the state, because Idaho, the state next door to us, is, you know, if their legislation is approved by the Supreme Court, is going to cut off abortions. And we're expecting a flood of people from Idaho. Which is, you know, our, most yeah, of our eastern yeah, and that's, border. and that's what some of these companies actually are doing. Companies that are more supportive of uh, abortion rights and want to make sure that their employees are can get access to this kind of um, this kind of care. They're saying, "Oh, well, we'll pay for you to to travel, to fly to another state." Um, which which is fine, except for the fact that pretty soon there's not going to be that many states where this is even uh, a possibility. It also really underscores what really happens to the nature of uh, abortion access when you have these when you have this these kinds of laws, because it just becomes yes, if you have a good job or you're you have your own money uh, and you have a good employer, you have your own resources, you'll still be able to continue to get whatever kind of care that you want. If you can't travel hundreds of miles, if you can't take several days off of work, if you don't have that support, it's not going to be available to you. And that's that's really what the, the sort of new reality is going to be. Yeah, there's there's a, a, a wind a blowing, as they say. And and I, you know, which raises you know the, the much larger question: Why do we allow corporations to buy politicians in the first place? But that's beyond the scope of this whole conversation, <laughs> I suppose. But Judd Legum, Popular.info. Hey, Judd, thank you so much for dropping by. Thanks a lot, Tom. Great talking with you. Also, you can follow him on Twitter at Judd Legum. Thank you for being with us today. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, who put so much work into this program. She is, I'm telling you, this program is Louise's as much as it is mine. And Sean Taylor and Nate Atwell and Jamie Holly and Joyce the Hammer Nance, who's answering your phones. Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethicott, Patrick White, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, Jay LeBlanc, Al Gorilla Rhythm, <laughs> Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde. Thank you so much to all of you for helping make this program work. Be good to yourself and the people around you. Get out there, get active, tag your it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.